This is Two Guys in a River. I'm Steve Mathewson. And I'm Dave Getz. We're two lifelong friends who love fly fishing for trout. Our podcast is all about helping you catch more fish and deepening your love of the time you spend on the river. We are Two Guys in a River. For the love of fly fishing. One of my favorite species of trout to catch on a fly rod is actually not a trout. It looks like a trout, feels like a trout, smells like a trout, tastes like a trout, but it's not a trout. It's part of the salmon family, the salmonidae. Could you say that like three times what, really did fast? I, say it wrong? I don't know. I have salmonidae, no idea. Salmonidae, salmonidae, it's Latin. <laughs> I, I, it's that's, Latin that's for my guess. salmon. It, that's exactly right. <laughs> Thanks. I was just trying to impress everybody yeah. just to slip that one in, but. Anyway, as I was so desperately trying to say, <laughs> that family, the salmon family, includes salmon, trout, char, fresh, freshwater whitefish, and grayling. Well, the species that I'm talking about today is actually a char, but it's commonly called a brook trout. I can say that three times. Brook trout, brook trout, brook trout. <laughs> or more affectionately, hey, we usually just call these brookies. Brook trout are native to the eastern part of the United States and Canada. I've caught them in Maine and Pennsylvania, but they've been transplanted to the West so that I've caught them in Colorado, Wyoming, and Montana. So today we're going to talk about the brook trout, uh, why they are so, well, charming, and what you need to know about fly fishing them. Uh, Dave, brook trout really are terrific to go after with a fly rod, wouldn't you say? They are absolutely gorgeous, and their color is just amazing. Yeah. You know, it's even the t even the small ones are just beautiful. The typically dark green with white spots and with some red spots circled by blue rings. Underbellies of the male are are reddish brown. I, I don't think as you think about all the other types of fish that we that we catch like mm -hmm. browns and cuts and yeah. rainbows. I I don't know that there's a better looking fish. I mean, oh, that, I know those males too. The spawning colors, the just that blaze orange almost on the underbelly just just gorgeous and hey they're prolific i mean wherever you find them uh which is typically in in smaller streams or sometimes in lakes you'll usually find a lot of them and i think they're also really eager uh there's nothing like just starting out and catching and a new fly fisher being able to spend a half a day catching catching 30 or 40 yeah. these tiny little brook trout that uh, pretty much th catch it you know that hit on anything that you throw yes. out so yep. they're usually happy to strike whatever attractor pattern you're using yep that's right and and they're pretty forgiving aren't they i mean your uh, leader can kind of end up in a in a wad and fly you know right down in the middle of it and boom the brookie comes <laughs> exactly, up and exactly exactly <laughs> <laughs> oh man and hey they're tasty uh, i mean if, if you like to to you know eat fish uh, there, there's nothing tastier than an eight inch brookie and there's so many of them that well a lot of places we fish uh especially in the west i mean the the limit for brookies is ridiculously high or some places it's even unlimited you know maybe it's 20 brookies so uh boy those are some of the reasons why we uh love brook trout so steve do you have any Favorite memories fishing these little uh, brook trout? Oh man, I, I've caught a lot of them. Maybe, maybe a couple that stand out. One would be the first times that I fished for brookies. I remember years ago when I was probably seven, eight years old. 
uh, we were in Glacier National Park, and, and I remember uh, my dad took me back to a little stream, and and there was a little, I mean, I called it a little falls, which, yeah, probably the stream dropped a foot. Wow. <laughs> now maybe a couple feet, and at the bottom there's this little pool, and, and I remember, of course, then I was uh, fishing bait as a seven-year-old, and you know, just drop my worm in, and boom, it was attacked. I was, yeah, I was hooked on that. Yeah. And my uh, my uncle took me back in, in northern Pennsylvania near Smethport, a little uh, place called Cole Grove Brook, and I remember catching them. And uh, so anyway, those first times were really stood out. I, I remember too, Dave, in the uh, Buderant National Forest in Wyoming, it'd be south of Jackson Hole, I I, I caught a 12 incher that came out from behind a log. It was, uh, it was fishing in this uh, really a beaver dam area, and and there was this big pool. In fact, about 50 yards beyond me, uh, standing on the other side of the beaver pond, there was a cow moose standing wow, right, that's right awesome. up to her haunches in the the water. And of course, I it didn't I didn't think at the time. I mean, I was probably. 10, 11 years old, didn't occur to me, you know, this might not be... Might a, not be a good situation. Yeah, I'm a little bit too close. I just thought, no, nah, this is like dealing with a deer. What time of elk. year was that? It was in the summer, so probably July, maybe early August. So she probably had a had a young one around maybe there somewhere. Maybe so. I mean, wow. Yep. But I remember, uh, you know, I, I threw... You know, I was, and I, at that point, I still hadn't uh, evolved into a fly fisher. I was fishing spinners, and I threw a spinner in... And it wasn't the greatest cast. And as I'm pulling it out, boom, out comes this 12-incher. And, of course, I, you know, I was like, oh, wow. And, and, and I see it swimming around. So I, I made another cast, and, and it, it took my mep uh, spinner. It went twice. It hit it twice. Yeah, wow, that's, it did. So that, That's also the forgiving nature of brook trout. Yeah, no, no kidding. <laughs> A rainbow would never do that. Oh, man, no kidding. <laughs> well, how about you? And you think about favorite memories of brookies. What, what comes to mind? Well, it was the fall that I first learned to, f- to fish for trout, and both with spinners and a fly rod. That was with you the fall of, I think, 1980. Yeah, and we went to, man. we hiked into Blanken Baker Flats. That's right. Which was this, what was the name of the stream? Do you remember? No, I don't. The flats were just the name yeah. of the terrain. I forget what the right. name of the stream. It was in the Big Belt Mountains. Yeah, it was in the Big Belt Mountains. South, southeast of Great Falls. It was about Montana. a four or five mile hike in. Yeah. But mm-hmm. when we got there, there was this beautiful little stream. In fact, if you walked up far enough, it ended up, there was a big pool and where a, a like a, a, a water ca- where water cascaded down yeah. like a like a waterfall. I mean, remember it was. that? That was really impressive. But I remember catching br- both brook trout and rainbows. I think yeah. we caught both mm-hmm. rainbows and yep. brook trout, and it was unbelievable. And oh, man. the fact that you could catch so many of them, and when you're just starting out, mm-hmm. you need success. You do. And brook trout often will give you success. Yeah, you of course, really it depends do. on where you're fishing, but. Yep. Um, boy, those small mm-hmm. streams higher up in the mountains, they're, man, they're just they're perfect great. for it. Yeah. Well, I remember in Moraine Park in Rocky Mountain National Park, it was really the first time I fished for brookies with, with a fly rod. And I was uh, you know, I was like a freshman in high school maybe. And and I, I still remember uh, you know, using a Royal Coachman or a Renegade pattern. And, you know, and some days – did okay and other days were just golden that that was uh that was just a blast we also caught brook trout at elk creek remember oh yeah <clears throat> yep. we, were, we mm-hmm. would catch browns rainbows but i also remember catching a ton of little brook trout in that stream that 
float out of the uh, what was the national forest? Do you remember? Uh, you mean that scapegoat wilderness? It was area? yeah, it flowed yeah. out of the scapegoat wilderness, mm-hmm. but there was a I specific the name. The yeah, national the national forest, forest yeah. there, but. This stream was just abundant with brook trout. Oh, and, yeah. you know, you throw on a parachute Adams or, like you said, you know, a renegade or something. And, and you just – and they're hitting <laughs> it on the surface. You're not nymphing. Ah, those are – those were the yeah. days, huh? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You sound they like really a couple were. old day, yeah, old guys. <laughs> we are a couple old guys. <laughs> no, we're not. Yeah, no, we're I not. refuse to we're be not. labeled as such. That's right. It's a mindset. <laughs> yeah. It is a mindset. <laughs> Oh man! <laughs> so, so Steve, what's the largest brookie that you've ever caught on a fly rod? Wow. Well, you know, I have to say, in the streams, I've I've caught, I maybe I've caught a handful that are twelve inches. That's that's about the biggest. I, you know, in lakes, little different story. I remember catching a few sixteen-inch brookies in uh, Upper Two Medicine Lake in Glacier National Park. Y- years later, after my. Uh, first experience there and then uh, I fished once with a friend in Henry's Lake uh, not that far from Yellowstone National Park and we had our fly rods and we were in his boat and we uh, we, we kind of trolled streamers on our fly rods I did catch like a 1920 oh wow there. wow yeah but that that would be but most of them are are pretty small man a, a 12 inches a trophy well those you know the, the the ones you catch in the lake, they're not fighting current, so they get mm-hmm. to they get to grow bigger, yeah, and fatter. And I would say I I have not caught a big brook trout. I just have to tell you, my biggest is probably twelve inches. Now I've not gone on you know I've not gone on trips to Labrador right. or these exotic places yeah. where you catch these mm-hmm. humongous humongous brook trout. So most of my fly fishing has been in smaller streams and really not yeah. in lakes. I've not really fished. A lake. Yeah. I fished lots of lakes, mm-hmm. but those were for cutthroat right. and brown trout and rainbows, but not mm-hmm. specifically brook trout. So I would say probably my biggest was a 14-incher at Elk Creek. Yeah, that's still a monster, It though, is, and creek. you get the hook jaw at that point. Oh, yeah. They're gorgeous. Yeah. That's, it's just amazing. That's yeah. cool. You know, recently uh, we ran into some uh, interesting insights in a study that was published by the Minnesota DNR Department of Natural Resources. Dave actually... Uh, emailed that to me one day, and I thought it was fascinating. Maybe we could talk just a little bit about uh, some of the things that uh, that, that study uh, kind of brought to light. Recently, we did an episode on, I think the name of it was, What Big Brown Trout Had for Lunch. It was based on a study in the West trying to figure out if, in, a, in essence, the, the thesis of the study was that the big brown trout or the brown trout were crowding out the cutthroat, the native cutthroat, the native mm-hmm. fish. And so this study that we looked at from the Minnesota DNR really was also about whether the brown trout were really pushing out the brook trout. I think mm-hmm. that was one of the assumptions yeah. of the study. Mm-hmm. And, and it did show that adult brook trout did better in places where there were fewer or no browns. Huh. Interesting. And, and uh, so I thought that was a really interesting insight. And also... It was. It showed. It actually referenced a study, and so biologists have known this for years about the issues of, of brown trout crowding out other fish. But brook trout dominate cutthroat in the West, and studies have confirmed that they indeed do crowd out the cutthroat trout. That's really interesting. And it was also interesting mm-hmm. that they said that 
some of the brown trout in the West live up to 14 years, whereas, say, in the Minnesota Driftless, it was more like three or four years. Really? That's fascinating. Yeah. You know, I've often thought, I'm sure you have too, huh? I, I go to some high mountain lake in Montana or Wyoming and think, man, I'm probably the second person, you know, in the history of the universe who's <laughs> ever visited this. This is so remote. Then I start catching brookies, and you think, oh, man, you know. The, somebody planted great, these brookies. Yeah, somebody planted them here. <laughs> um, wow. There were also, you know, in this study, they, they showed that there were more brook trout. Now, this is in the Minnesota Driftless, not mm-hmm. in the west or in the east in southeastern Minnesota, that there were more brook trout higher up in the colder part of the stream. And that's because brook trout really do demand, you know, mm-hmm. temps that are, you know, 53 degrees or, or, or cooler, right? Yeah. So the warmer temps keep mm-hmm. them further upstream or farther upstream. And there were more browns down lower in the warmer sections. Now that kind of makes sense when yeah, you actually say it. It does. And also there was this sense that the that the brook trout actually move upstream to get away from the browns. Yeah, yeah, that's. I don't know how you verify that yeah. in terms of the data, but um, that that really is interesting. They also that. said that brown trout have a, a a much earlier maturation than do brown trout, so they mature earlier. I'd never thought of that before, and that's so I'm not sure why that is, but that was one reason why they think that the brown trout. Well, that they separate. They tend to separate mm-hmm. in the stream, right? Okay. So they say when, obviously, the temps get warmer, the the, bro- the brook trout are moving up river. So that's an obvious thing because yeah. they need that colder water. But the early maturation thing is really interesting. I'm not sure quite what the significance yeah. is. Um, I think that the study indicated that they, they thought that that was one reason why they didn't do as well in the streams where there was also a lot of brown mm-hmm. trout. So Okay. That's fascinating. Here's another quote that I thought was interesting. Maybe it covers a little bit of what we've talked about, but probably the best way to get this across is just to read it. So they said this, another potential reason brook trout do better in headwater areas is that their life history is suited to the stream conditions. Pools are generally smaller and water temperatures colder, which may benefit a species such as brook trout with limited growth potential and early maturation. Huh. That's interesting, isn't it? Maybe that's part of the reason why I'm drawn to uh, brook trout is because they're in those kind of those crystal clear fisheries and you, know, you, you get into a mountain stream, which is just my idea of, uh, man, this is fly fishing heaven. And uh, brookies are really well suited to that, aren't they? You look at some of the pools or or well, the pools where you find them, and you think, man, how do they even live here? But if you yeah. start to look closer, there's probably a foot of water in that pool, and, th- and they figure out places to hide and to feed. And it's amazing how far upriver these fish can go and mm-hmm. in how small a streams these brookies can live in. It right. really is amazing. Yeah. Well, let's talk about some tips for fishing them. And, and in one sense, we I mean, we've already said, well, they're – they, they seem at least easier to catch than, than other species of trout, although that's not always the case. Um, kind of like this is a good opportunity for beginners, but still, you, you, have, to, you have to fish for them. Uh, and so we mentioned already, you know, in Labrador, at least, you know, when you look at all the promotional videos, there's a, you know, I don't know if it's Hatch Magazine or New Fly Fisher 
they always promote Labrador and videos mm-hmm. of catching these huge trout up in Labrador, in, in Labrador, right? Yeah. North of, of the United States. But, and I've never, I just have never caught a monster fish. I've never fished in places like that. I fished mostly in small tributaries. And so I, I do think the farther you move upstream, the more likely that these brook trout are going to hit anything that you throw at them. Yeah. I, I talked to a guide recently. In fact, he owns the fly shop here in DuPage County, one of the fly shops in DuPage County. He had moved out here from Colorado, but he talked about guiding uh, folks to these small streams, you know, way in the backcountry in Colorado, where he said, man, in an afternoon, you'd catch 100. In fact, there's so many, they'll they'll hit your hook as it's going down, a naked yeah, hook. Yeah. And he felt like they needed to, to clean that out and actually start to keep mm-hmm. some of those brook trout. But the farther you go, the more upstream you go. And it makes sense based on the biologists and that study that we just talked about. The more, further upstream you go, the more likely you're going to catch fish yeah. that actually will hit on anything that you throw at them. But even though they're forgiving... Sometimes they're hard to catch, though. Yeah, absolutely. And last summer, I fished uh, Rocky Mountain National Park, the Fall River, where you often fish. Mm-hmm. I was out there with your brother, and they were really hard to catch. We were fishing stimulators. I was fishing. Um, I actually fished an H and L variant as my top fly, and I dropped um, a Caddis emerger, and I was catching them on the emerger. Brother Dave was killing it on the stimulators. Yeah, isn't that but crazy? they they weren't just hitting anything, yeah. right? And the water was a little high. Do you yep. remember that last oh, summer? Yeah. It was just a little bit high. So you're saying you, you have to you have to experiment with some other patterns. Maybe not just assume, hey, any, any yeah. yeah, some days any attractor pattern will work. Other days you may have to keep trying some things. I wish the stream had been. Um, it's it's just not fishable for nymphs. Yeah, you know you've seen mm-hmm. that. It's just yep. almost impossible to fish nymphs there. You know, I would have loved a, to try that. That's a great point. I don't fish nymphs as much for brookies, and the reason is because you're typically catching them in smaller streams. On the surface. On the surface. It's dry fly fishing works well. You know, another another tip, I think, is is you really have to sneak up on brookies. While they're forgiving, they're, they're pretty spooky. And, yeah, I realize any fish can be spooky, but brookies especially because they're in this smaller water, and they're they're so visible, uh, you know. It's not like you know, you're in a larger river where they're, you know, at the bottom, and you don't have to worry about walking up to the river. I mean, they're they're going to see you, so you you really do have to uh, you have to pay attention to that. I think also since they're typically found in smaller streams, um, it's really key to keep moving. Yeah. And don't stay in the same spot for very long. I like to hear that, Yes, Dave. you do. You drive me to drinking the way you, you know, we're trying to alternate runs. Steve does a run, then I move ahead of him. Well, Steve, I, I fish one run, and Steve's up five miles already. I'm thinking, all right, he just fished these runs and ruined them. Yeah, and, you're so slow, Yeah, Dave. exactly. Yeah. Oh, but man. I do think, you know, small stream trout are remarkably talented at at hiding their presence and mm-hmm. seeing or sensing you long before you can see them and, and bolting, bolting under the nearest flat rock or, yeah. or log. And, and I, just last summer, again, I was, it was the same day that we were fishing the Fall River. Your brother and I fished the Colorado headwaters, which flow actually parallel to 
the road as you're going up to Rocky Mountain National Park when you oh, come yeah. in from the southwest side. Yeah, okay. And so you're not too far from the road, and so we just stopped and said, hey, let's just let's do some fishing, and that's where we saw those cow moose. Oh, and, yeah, right. But your brother did a really good job. We just fished dries. I actually moved to Nymph. I was trying a bunch of different things, mm-hmm. and but your, your brother really did well, I think, on a parachute Adams, and he probably caught two fish to every one I caught. In these smaller streams, I think... You do have to be really careful um, coming up on them. You just can't walk up to them, walk up to runs like a, you know. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it's kind of basic fishing 101. Yeah. But mm-hmm. y- even with brook trout, you can't be sloppy. No, it's true. Something else I think helps is to find the, the shady spots. I I like fishing brookies on bright, sunny afternoons. You know, sometimes fly fishers complain about, yeah, the worst day to fly fish is a, is a bright sunny afternoon, and I, I get that. We like cloud cover that that really triggers the hatches, gets them going, and and seems to trigger the feeding. But boy, brookies, uh, you know, will will f- will feed on those bright sunny days. But I have more success on those kind of days when I can find a shady spot, especially an undercut bank. I yeah, mean, you you find one of those, and that's gold. So anyway, uh, brookies, hey, we we love them. Um, you know they're they're a great fish and 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 often a great place for uh, beginners to start just because there's so many brookies when you find them and and uh, we're, we're not and s- they hit a tractor pattern yeah yeah they do so uh, and, and tell you what even for veteran fly fishers I mean there's still so much joy in catching brookies and I uh, I love it every time we get a chance to do it well it's time for great stuff from our listeners uh, here are two very recent comments that uh, that came in on a post that we actually did a while ago it was five reasons you need a fly fishing waiting staff so uh, the first comment came from a guy named Steve uh, good name so we want to <laughs> feature that uh, Steve said two thumbs up two guys bought my staff Sims last year it's a great aid when navigating rocky terrain heading to and along the river Clearly, algae-covered rocks, fast and deep water, present their own challenges. Last trip to Wyoming with the staff equaled zero falls. But the same trip the prior year, I had three falls. One fall on the trail damaged a rod, reel, wader, some skin, and pride. <laughs> oh, man. So from now on, the waiting staff is indispensable. Yeah. And that's a great comment. Yeah, thanks, Steve. And then our friend Duane said, waiting staff. In rattlesnake country, a waiting staff is a very helpful tool. Uh, I also use it, to, I use it to whack the tall grass before stepping in. One fine day in Oregon's Crooked River, I crossed the stream to fish, not paying attention to the rising water. When I attempted to get back to my pickup, the stream was at least 8 to 12 inches deeper and much more dangerous. Whoa. I leaned on my staff with both hands in the deeper areas as, as I slowly slid my feet towards safety. With no staff, I'm sure I'd have lost my balance and been swept downstream. Wow. Man, that's a, that's wow. a great reminder. Yeah, you know, when you think about, oh, no, the river rises, I only have 8 to 12 inches to deal with. It, it's not just, oh, now it's, it's up to my uh, waist instead of my thighs. No, it's you're, you're talking about the force, too, of that river. Yeah. Uh, tumbling down that that makes it very uh, difficult so, i've heard of man. fly fishers who fish a lot of tailwaters and who get caught in the rising yeah uh, in the rising water right, right below a dam right below so, a dam yeah. 
and and I tell you what, having that waiting staff, I I, I have been a slow. You've been a more of an early adopter when it comes to uh, a waiting staff. I've been a late adopter, mm-hmm. and I I did pick one up. And I have to tell you, when we fished the gardener last year, it made all the difference oh, in the yeah, world. Oh yeah, it really does. Especially when you're tired, because we do a yeah. lot of hiking. Mm-hmm. And when you're coming back and you're still stopping to fish and you're still working the river on the way back, you start to you you start to slow down. You don't pick yep. your feet up, and you just have this high risk of of uh, of falling. Well, that's going to do it for today. Tell us what you love or what you've learned about fly fishing for brookies. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this. You can join the conversation by going to twoguysinariver.com and comment on this podcast link. What do you love and what have you learned about fly fishing for brook trout? You can find us on all the social platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. And if you'd like to send us an idea for a podcast, please do so at our email address, Steve Dave. That's one word, Steve Dave, at twoguysinariver.com. One other thing is we'd love for you to sign up for our weekly email alerts. So if you hit the site and you get the little widget that asks you to sign up, please do so. If you want to sign up, just send us an email and we make, we'll make sure you're on our, our weekly email list. We also want to thank all of you who have purchased our book, The Fly Fisher's Book of Lists. It's really a cliff notes of all the fly fishing hacks and tips that we've accumulated through the years. It's really a fun read. And for those of you who haven't picked it up yet, you can do so on Amazon. Join the hundreds of thousands Yeah, who have. you know, yes. the New York Times just keeps calling us and saying, hey, you know, you've been on our bestseller list for so long. Oh, yeah. man, in our dreams. <laughs> in our uh, dreams, yeah. yeah. One last thing, our podcast subscribers have grown significantly over the past year. And, boy, I just want to say a big thanks. And that's because you've referred the podcast. That's how this podcast grows. And it's, it's just from one person telling another person about the podcast. So thank you very much. Yes, thanks for those referrals. And thanks for listening. I'm Steve Mathewson. And I'm Dave Getz. Until next time, we are Two Guys in a River. For the love of fly fishing. Fly fishing.